We were talking last week about releasing the inheritance, and it started out in Luke, and just, I said we were going to go to Luke, we never got there, um, which didn't hurt me at all, didn't offend me, didn't mess with me. But I want to start there tonight, uh, and I say that before giving you Proverbs 13 and 22, which we closed with last week, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In a discussion after last Wednesday, someone asked me a question I think is an important question. How do you build on something that is God's that he gives us? Because as I read you all of those scriptures last week in Ecclesiastes 5, this is a gift of God. Heritage and inheritance is a gift of God. Well, and I, I pondered that question and we had more discussions about it. But then the Lord began to tell me, well, what did Paul say? First Corinthians chapter 3, he said that this grace has been given to me that I as a wise master builder laid a foundation. And then he said, so be sure how you build on that foundation. And he went on to describe it a little bit more, you see, because we're not actually building anything that God has already made. But we are hopefully increasing our understanding of it, increasing our knowledge of it. In fact, pastor quoted, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We like to say the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. But there will be those who know yet won't accept him still. They've seen him as God but refused to acknowledge him as God. Therefore, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Wherein they would believe a lie and be damned. Even knowing that he's God, there are those that are going to clench their teeth and curse him. It's in the word. You can look it up. So what we're building in heritage is a lasting understanding and a full remembrance of the purpose and the plan in delivering and distributing the gifts of God. And it's the gifts and callings of God that are irrevocable. Once he releases it, he's not taking it back. So if you go by the law of first mention in the scripture, when God said, I've released this, he's never returned. He's never called it back. I sent while we were in Florida, suffering through the sun. I sent pastor a video to watch and the guy was from the church of Christ. And he's now teaching among the church of Christ churches as best he can. And when they let him in. That when they have taught for years and years and years that God doesn't do anymore what, he, what they say he doesn't do anymore, he's still doing. And so across the land, those who are in that denomination are catching on. God still moves. God still does. He's still the healer. He's still the deliverer. He's still the life giver. He's still the king of kings. He's still everything. So when we talk about what we're building, it's a, it's a matter of semantics on how we say things sometimes. But we want to get it across 
of how vital and wonderful simultaneously it is to live in this blessed life that God has given us. Luke 15 and verse 11 and 12. Well, let me, yeah. A certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Simple point, two sons, one wanted his stuff. So the father gave the stuff to both of them. Now it says he divided his livelihood. And there are some nuances in scripture, but the, the one son said, give me what belongs to me. In essence, what's been laid up for me? What is there out there that's laid up for me? I want it right now. Verse 31, he's telling the older son that didn't mess up with everything except he said, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. In essence, he's telling them anytime, anywhere, for any purpose, you can utilize the resources of my house because it has been and always will be yours. So what he's declaring is that even though we're in it and inheritance technically in our natural life comes after death, inheritance from God is presently working in us and he's giving it and has given, which the word says, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Or if you would, God likeness. Now that stirs the religious crowd more than the other word. Godliness doesn't bother you near as bad as beginning to see he has given us all things that pertain to us being like him. We have people say all, we hear people, teachers, will have faith in God. And then they have clar clarified that from going into the word in the, in the Greek. And it says actually have God's faith. Have the God kind of faith that will say to this mountain be removed and don't be doubting about it. And the mountain's got to move. Now, there's not been many reasons for us to move mountains in the literal sense. But we all have faced a lot of mountains in the, in the uh, spiritual sense. Psalm 16 is an excellent verse out of David. David realizing where he is, what's going on in verse 5 says, Oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. David's saying that you're everything. My cup in the place, my cup overflows. David's over and over and over in the Psalms declares that it is God's faithfulness to bless and us live in his blessing. And he says that it is my inheritance. What is his inheritance? Everything that God has declared is his. So what has God declared is his? All simple things like the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. Simple little ideas such as that, that, you know, 
often will stir the hearts of man and get him all twisted because, well, how can I believe for that? Well, then we can go over here to Hebrews. It's a nice book. I like to look at Hebrews, but I want to go to chapter 11. Because in chapter 11, verse number 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. God told him, you go, take your wife, and you go, and I'm going to take you a place, and it'll be your inheritance. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. Now, I want you to listen to the way he says it. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So here he's telling us something. We believe Paul, along with Luke, wrote Hebrews. There are some discussion, but it doesn't matter right now. Whoever wrote it, this is what they're saying. God said, Abraham, go out and I'm going to give you this place. And by the way, the, the, the land that he told him he would give him, that would, Jacob would be an inheritor of, is vastly more than what present Israel is. In fact, it covered the majority of the Middle East from the sea to the farthest rivers, from the north area all the way down. This huge area that God said is Israel's property. But here, Abraham, and it says, and he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. So as Abraham lived in tents, Isaac lived in tents, Jacob and all of his tribes lived in tents. And in fact, they never lived in a building until they were in captivity in Egypt. And then when they left Egypt, they went back to living in tents for another 40 years. And they weren't going to live in another building in that 40 years until they crossed over the Jordan into the promise. And that's where it said, then you will live in houses you didn't build, eat from vineyards you didn't plant. All will be sustained and I will take care of you. So what is he saying? We are in a temporary setting. You and I. Our inheritance has many benefits in this life. But the official doctrine says we have even in heaven. I was talking to a friend of mine today out of Arizona. And we were talking about, you know, what goes on and what's been happening. And, and we were talking about how gold and God's, and he says, you know, I, I, I gave up worrying about that a long time ago. My dad paved streets with this stuff. He doesn't count it too much in value. So it's not a problem for him to take care of everything as our inheritance is concerned. If he paves streets with it, then to him it's not that big a deal. So to you and I, it shouldn't be because we're always looking at how are we going to get this? How are we going to get that? How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that? And yet, 
Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. <clears throat> so he didn't count, well, I need to build a house because they have houses over here. Even Lot, when Lot left him, we find that Lot went toward and pitched his tents toward Sodom. And the next thing we hear out of him, he's living in a house in Sodom. But it wasn't the house that was the important factor to Abraham. It was the promise. And the promise had more to it than just houses. The promise had more to it than just sustenance on a daily basis. The promise of inheritance had so much more than daily needs being met. And yet how much of us, how many of us rather, we get tied up focused on daily needs being met. And yet Paul in Philippians says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How's he going to do that? Well, we have to read the previous verses. What were they doing? How were they living? How were they operating? And if you look at how the Philippian church was operating, Paul said, nobody has even donated to me in my ministry except you. And I've been here and here and here and here and here and nobody. And I even went this place. And, and rather than to take anything from them so they'd say they made me, I did my own deal building, making tents. Why? Because I'm not going to get caught up in this world stuff so I can live in the other world's promise. There is laid up for me treasures. Now, I, I, in talking to my friend, I said, well, you know, the, the neat thing to me about that is there isn't one treasure that we count as a treasure here that I'll have any need for there in heaven. Therefore, if anything is laid up, it's laid up so it can be distributed as the inheritance to me. Now, in the story of the prodigals, we find that the two sons living in the same house, operating in the same way, going into the fields, whatever it was that they did, taking care of sheep, planting gardens, whatever they did. doesn't really say. The only thing we see is where the elder son was out with the servants working in the fields. When the prodigal came home, the prodigal took his stuff, he went over and he blew it all. Of course... Probably nobody here has ever blown a fortune on drugs, alcohol, men, women, and whatever else you want to throw out there. But the prodigal did. So he ends up without, and he comes back, and when he comes back, there is still all sufficiency in all things for every good work. Because the Father is faithful. Whether we are or not, He is faithful still. When we mess up, He's still forgiving. He's still righteous. He's still loving. He's still faithful. He may discipline. He still disciplines. But He doesn't discipline anything like my dad used to. Thank God. Because if God ever took a switch, gee, I'm preaching this, Michael. 
Colossians 1 and verse 12. Paul saying, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light or in the understanding, in the revelation knowledge. We are partakers of the inheritance as we learn what the inheritance is. As we become, if you will, enlightened or aware of. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Straight up, one of the very first things of our inheritance is we're free. And we're not free to be idiots, although we can be and sometimes are. But we're free to be his sons or daughters if you're one who's worried about gender being called the right pronouns or whatever right now. But we are free to be his children. We have been adopted into his family. And we are joint heirs with Christ in his kingdom. We are right now and continue to be. Ephesians chapter 1. In him also, verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We have been, we have obtained the inheritance now, how many of you understand the word obtained? He didn't say we're going to get the inheritance. We've already obtained it. It's already been delivered. It's already available to us. It's like having a giant bank account and never learning the account number. So you can withdraw from it. Right? It's been given. We have already obtained it. But how many of us live within the fullness of it and we're going to change that? Christ Church is going to change that. We are changing that. And we are seeing that in changing that, we've got some tremendous things that are working now in us. And we're way past the he's going to or he's fixing to, or he's about to, or he will. I just read you that we have already obtained. If we've already obtained, then he's already done. If we've already obtained, he's already delivered. If we've already obtained, then he has given all things freely to us. First Peter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here we go again. To an inheritance, incorruptible, imperishable, if you will, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, how many of you think we're in the last time? And so he's saying here, Peter is, this thing's going to blow up in such a way and be visible in such a way. Nobody can deny that it's the hand of God. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Anybody been grieved by any trials today? It's been a heck of a day. That the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our lives. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The very end of our faith is also the beginning of our faith. Because in the beginning of our faith, we were saved. For as many as believed on him, faith, to them he gave power to become sons of God. So the very start of our life in Christ was by faith, and the very end of our life is still in faith. So that's why we say, now faith is, and we walk by faith, not by sight. We live in a realm of believing even what we can't see, because we trust the Father who said, I've got it. I've got it. It's laid up. It's there. Now, one of the things I want you to see out of the prodigal in Luke, we can tell by the fact of how it reads. The younger son takes his inheritance and he goes and he blows it off. The elder son doesn't touch his inheritance even though it's been distributed to him. And all, he, all we see of him is he keeps going out in the field working with the servants. Somebody dropped the ball on teaching them boys what they're to do with their inheritance. Because neither one of them knew how to steward the gifts. And in fact, the calling of sonship that they had been given from this father. Can you see that? Am I, are we all right? Some of you are just looking. I don't want to put you to sleep. But you see what I'm talking about. Obviously, they weren't told how to use and utilize their inheritance. Neither. 
And in fact, the elder son who kept going out in the field to be a servant never took the value of the house he lived in even when he was at home as a kid growing up. <clears throat> they attributed everything, well, it's, it's dad's. We can't touch it. But you don't know whether they asked or not, but probably not because of the way they lived. Because the one younger son had to get old enough that he finally got brave enough to say, give me my stuff. And most likely rudely. Y'all ever see kids get rude when they get older? Because we failed in educating them on the stewardship of life. When they have great inheritance, our children, our children grew up in a Christian home and a great, a great heritage. They grew up seeing miracles. They grew up seeing people delivered from demons. They grew up in that atmosphere. They grew up hearing devils scream out and yet they knew enough to know it wasn't a big deal because dad and mom were praying and it was going to be all right and that person's going to get free. Our youngest daughter one time did question us about leaving her with a woman that needed deliverance. But the woman got free. But the heritage that they had has led them to understand all things are possible to those who believe. And so we taught them how to steward the gifts of God. How to operate in the blessings of God. How to keep ourselves right in the giving, in the tithing. Understand something. Alms and tithes are separate, distant, different acts of giving money. Actually, tithe is not giving anyway. Tithe is presenting back to God what's his. But it, I'm not teaching on that. But we had to teach them the principles, the foundational truths of how to live in the Father's house in order to avail ourselves properly of the inheritance that is already ours. And what we must do in honoring our children in our kids' ministry, in honoring our teens in the teen ministry, in honoring our young adults in this house, in honoring one another who are older, because I've met some pretty hard-headed old people who have never figured out how to live in what God has for us in this life now. Who are still waiting when it comes to getting to heaven. I stood by a casket one night, precious lady that had gone to be with the Lord. And a lady was standing right by her in her 80s. And I said, won't it be wonderful when you can be with her? They were best friends. And this little lady who had her bun and everything on her head and had everything just right and had walked with the Lord since she was a young teenage girl looked up at me, I sure hope I'm ready. And my heart sank thinking, my Lord, at this age you still haven't figured out it's a done deal? But when you look at denominational teachings and structures, that's what they were taught. And had not we sought God for ourselves in a different manner, we would have been in that same boat. 
ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge. And if we're going to release this inheritance to our children's children, we better not only be teaching them how to steward it, how to work with it, but alongside them, model how to do it. Show them. Keep our mouths in order, like Pastor was saying. He was very sweet about what he said. I'll tell you, shut your mouth. You open your mouth against something that you don't know, you're fighting God. And God gave me a word for a man one time who pastors one of the largest churches in America. I was sitting right in front of him. As close to his face as I am to that Bible right now. And God said, from this point on, never, ever talk about anything that you're not sure of where God is concerned. And I found out later, he had been preparing a whole teaching series on why the Holy Spirit doesn't move like he did. And was ridiculing the churches that did move in the Holy Spirit. And to solidify the thing, God said, now this is not for here in the city we were in. This is for where, and I said, and God said, this is for where I'm taking you, for you will receive from them the call that you're waiting on, that they have accepted you, so that when you go there, never again will you contradict my word because of your doctrine. And tears were rolling down his face. He said, No, but. It's always this way. Isn't it fun when somebody tells you, nobody knows that. Well, God's your father, and I think he's quite sure he knows. <coughs> so when he came to an understanding of it, he never did again. So he went from the one church he was at to a larger church and went from the larger church to one of the largest churches in the country. And still pastoring today and is a wonderful man. Why? Because Holy Spirit invaded his life and he found out there's more to his inheritance than he knew. And once he understood it, he began to steward the inheritance far better than he ever had before. And he was even a good preacher at the time. <clears throat> and the only reason he was in my office is because a woman was demon possessed and he didn't know what to do with her. And his wife had a friend who was a part of our church that said, we might ought to call that guy. So the woman gets set free, lays down on the floor, goes to sleep, and we're able to let God move on his behalf, which is what the intent of purpose really was for him to come and visit. And that's not that God didn't love the woman, because he did. But he knew that was a simple matter. But what was really important was this guy's going to affect thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. I've got to get his heart right. And he has to know how to steward what I've given him. If you read Eli, how did, how did Samuel come to be in a position with Eli? Eli did not steward his sons on how to follow after him in the priesthood. So they became vile. So God raised up Samuel. 
Samuel grows up in Eli's house. Eli dies. Samuel becomes the prophet of the Lord for the, for the nation. Samuel's going up. It's time for Samuel to die. And we find out his sons didn't know what to do. And they ended up messing up. Because Samuel did not steward his sons in how to take care of the calling and the anointing. All they knew is how to take care of the priesthood in the natural and do the ritual. And so they lost out on what the Holy Spirit was all about that Samuel walked with the whole time. David comes along out of all of that mix. He doesn't steward his sons properly except for Solomon because Solomon's mom had a better idea than what David had had previous to that. So Solomon comes along and he actually does right for a while, but then he messes up. And he didn't steward his sons so when they come into time for them to do something, they blew the place apart and split the nation. And on and on and on and on and on, you go through this word and you find where these things happen. How many of you know what Peter's son did when he grew up? How many of you know anything about Matthew's son, if you had any? We don't hear anything about the sons of the apostles, do we? We don't hear a word. We don't hear that they carried it into the next generation. We don't know whether they did or not. But I should think that we ought to have some knowledge of that. So here's the point of tonight's message so I can close because we're about out of time. We're going to release the inheritance that is called Christ Church. To the next generations. And right alongside of them. You and I are going to walk with them. To operate in the fullness that God has for them. So that they can multiply in this house greater than we did. And we can rejoice with them in it. So this is a multi-generational ministry. So when we get old we're not put out to pasture. We're to walk alongside and encourage. The pastor said, look, if I got to go sit on the bleachers somewhere and cheer them on, then I'm, I'm good for the bleachers. Listen, I can be one of the best cheerleaders you ever heard. As long as you let me dress the way I want to. And don't make me swing, what do they call them things, pom-poms or... But we must invest ourselves into what God is doing in this house. And we'll do that by investing in each generation. So my generation, several of us in that generation, are investing as best we can, to the fullest we can, to mentor to love, to model, to, to encourage, to tell people, man, you're great. You're doing wonderful. To tell these young people that are coming up, I'm excited about you. I'm excited about what God is doing in your lives. I'm excited that you're changing school systems. I'm excited that you're changing court systems. I'm excited that you're changing uh, 
business systems in the community. I'm excited that God is using you for this and this and this. But I'm mostly excited that you're getting excited about God in the house. In the house of God. That's why in the house of God, we have to be able to stir up the gifts of God and let them manifest properly. Always gets me in trouble. Because I want you to have the free flow of the Holy Spirit, but this book says there's an order to it. For every prophecy, let there be two, at the most three. Then let everybody else judge, well, was that God or not? And that's not out loud. That's not us throwing tomatoes at them and saying that wasn't God. Or standing up and cheering and saying that's God. But being in order, operating in an orderly manner properly, not invading what Holy Spirit wants to do because we think we got a good thought, but stewarding our children to understand this is how we operate by the Holy Spirit to establish his word. We still okay? I can come back Sunday so far. <clears throat> but we have to be able to. And that brings us to this. That means then that if I see something going on or, and I share it with pastor, if he gives me the freedom to talk to somebody, I will, or if he can talk to them himself. Most likely, he's going to give me the freedom so he doesn't have to. See? Smart man. Smart man. So what am I saying? If something's out of order, we've got to have a way to hold it into place so it moves right. So if we have to say something to you, like, not right now, the word's not for right now, you don't get all offended. Well, you just don't want the Holy Ghost to move. And nothing could be further from the truth. But we want the Holy Spirit to move, not your spirit. Who's feeling real good about something you studied this morning before you came to church. They're not smiling much, Pastor. Now, you're with me. But it's true. And it's for our benefit. And it's for our betterment. Because if we're going to move Holy Spirit moving, we're going to do it as mature people of God. We're not going to do it like a bunch of kids playing in the parking lot. We're going to set it right, operate right, steward the gifts correctly, and they will increase, not decrease. They will absolutely flourish, not diminish. Because the more we do to deal with the roots and get them properly in order, the greater manifestations of the Holy Spirit that you and I will see. But if we're going to give this to the next generations, we're going to have to operate like we know what we're doing. And it's all listed right here. And you can study it. And it's not just 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, although that's the basis of most of what we teach. 
But if you go back and read Acts, you can see how they operated. If you read the other uh, epistles, the letters, you can see how Paul brought correction to most everybody and Peter and James and John also. And we can learn about how this works to the fullness. Because I was telling somebody just the other day, Sherry and I were in a meeting in, in the early 80s at the Shriners Auditorium in Peoria, Illinois, and the place was packed out. And an entire orchestra played in the Holy Spirit. And the conductor who had been leading put his hands down and bowed himself before God. And I mean an entire orchestra. The most beautiful sounds you could ever imagine just came pouring out of that orchestra as the Holy Spirit was enjoying the sounds he created. Maturity. And the thing that was neat about that orchestra, there was a teenager playing a bass guitar that hit licks that I had never heard before or since. For anybody knowing how to play guitar, you know what licks are. And he began to play. And the guy playing the piano masterfully played things. A Hammond B3. You had to be an old Pentecostal to know the work term. But the guy playing that thing sounded like the biggest pipe organ ever with the most beautiful sounds. Everything flowed in harmony. See, that's another thing about Holy Spirit. He harmonizes. And that's what we teach our children. That's what we're doing in the generations. That's why it's called generational center over here that's why the investments are being made now to see God's glory in every area and every every age group of people that are at Christ Church and I solicit from you the agreement yes we're going to do this thing yes we're going to do this thing no, I'm not going to let my mouth and my preference be a hindrance. I'm going to let God be God. And let him do wonderful and great and mighty things in this house. Through this pastor. With his glory. And the last verse I want you to get is, because just 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I didn't give that to Chad, so he can chide me a little later for not giving it to him. Simply says, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Because if, if this region is going to see anything they're going to see the excellency of the power of God in and through us.
not only in this house, but in our communities, in our schools, in our businesses, on our streets, wherever we go. Because that is how the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Because when they see you, they see God's glory. When you talk, they hear the Holy One's glory speaking. And they see His countenance in you. I want you to stand. Cody Carnes wrote a song not long ago. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. We want that to be the cry out of our hearts at this church for the rest of our days. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. We're going to have programs, but we're not building on programs. Programs are a tool to release the glory. We're going to have order that is not restrictive, but is proper in order to release the glory. We're going to watch Holy Spirit move in the hearts of people and have our hearts in tune with him. So that if we're sitting near someone and we can immediately tell Holy Spirit's got a hold of that individual. We don't interrupt the Holy Spirit, but somewhere near there, we're interceding that that person will yield fully and gain everything that they need and grasp him to the full. We're setting our hearts tonight. And if you're in a hurry, Pastor, you got anything else you want to do? Father, while all around this nation people are watching what's happening, and all are crying, do it here, and many are running to see how they did it without understanding they did nothing but submit their hearts to you. Here, Lord, we submit to you and nothing else will do. Here, Lord, we don't ask you to come because you're already here. We have no need of asking you to move because you've never stopped. We simply yield to your will, to your way, to your purposes, that you through us will manifest your glory and souls will come running into your kingdom to be joint heirs with us in all that you give us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I give you praise.